verse 1. Um, if you know anything about the book of Judges, if you don't, no problem. But the book of Judges is this kind of bad cycle that the, the, the nation of Israel is on. So essentially they will live for God. Everything goes okay. They end up prostituting themselves to idols. And the enemy comes in and destroys the nation. They cry out to God. God sends a judge. The judge kind of fixes everything for a couple years. And then they end up going right back. It's this hamster wheel of bad problems. And so when we jump in right here at Judges chapter 6, that's exactly what we find. We find that the Israelites have been doing evil. They've been running after other gods. They become oppressed by the Midianites. God raises up a prophet. And that prophet kind of speaks to them. He's like, look, the whole reason you're in this bad situation, because you don't want to do what God said to do. This is where we pick up the story in verse 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn, it's actually, we're going to be right here too. I know it's a lot of text to read. You don't have to read it. You can just follow along with me. But it's very, uh, it's very telling because I'll be honest with you, this, this right here was me at about 15 years old. Uh, it says, the angel of the Lord came, sat down under the oak at Oprah, not the person on TV, uh, that belonged to Joash, the Abizurite, whatever, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He says, pardon me, Lord. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Why are, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Didn't God bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon replies, yes, Lord, I'll do everything you have to say. No, that's not what he says. He says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay? So if you stop here for one real quick, what does God say? First thing he says, go in your strength and save the nation. I don't believe God really meant go in your strength. I think basically what he was trying to say to Gideon is like, you think you're all that? You think you got it going on? Okay, let's go see if you can save the nation. His response right away is he's very practical about himself. He says, my clan, that's where he's from, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Here's what God says. Here's what I want you to zone in, because this applies to no matter what your personality type is. I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites. God tells him what he can be, not what he currently is. Okay, so when I was 15, I had flashes of what I could be now, but at the time, I was awkward, I was introvert, I was scared to death, I was with a lot of potential, but none of the potential was realized. And when Jesus came and knocked on my heart, when he kind of was like, look, I got something for you, if you just give me your life, I'll be honest with you, I didn't fall to my knees and cry out to God and just surrender. I had a very practical approach. My first thing I prayed was this, God, if you're real, prove it to me. This is part of my personality. When I approach God with a lot of things, I never approach, or a lot of things that I do in life, I don't just jump in. I am a very sit back, evaluate the whole situation, and then I do a practical leap of faith. And that's what we see with Gideon. Uh, But God says to him again, he's like, look, if you'll just let me take a hold of your life, I can do things that you think you can't do. Because what we find out that basically what happens is that Gideon actually already was a leader. So if we're talking about ENTJs, we're talking about leaders. We're talking about people that are field marshals or they are commanders. That's their personality. They thrive on leadership. Um, for myself right now, I find myself in a lot of leadership positions, obviously working at the church. When I first read this personality profile, I was like, that's not true. There's no way I'm a leader. 
at the time I just did my music. I'm like in my head, I'm thinking, there's no, like, what am I leading? I don't run church. I don't, I'm not on staff nowhere. And then I forgot, and I was like, every night I go out and I lead a thousand people to stick their hand in the air. <laughs> every night I make a thousand people jump up, roll down, do whatever I tell them to do. And I thought that for a second, I go, oh, I am a commander. And when I don't get the ability to command the crowd, I get stressed. Okay? And so I say that with the idea, that's when God made me realize is that I had been doing this since I was a little kid. If I was five years old, I used to jump up on that table and I just performed for the entire family. That's what I did. And I loved it. There was something about commanding the crowd. I was in <laughs> sort of in student council, like my junior high years. I was an alternate, whatever that means when you're like in eighth grade, like if the person goes down with an injury, you get to be the student council guy. <laughs> You know what I mean? But I was like the alternate homeroom leader. So I had flashes of what I could be, but I was not a leader. Okay? That's when God was speaking to me and saying, I don't see you for what you are right now. I see you for what you can be. That's what happens with Gideon right here. Uh, What we basically go on to find out is um, Gideon then offers an offering to God. He's then told to go and cut down his parents' idols. Uh, that's the reality is God calls us, then he challenges us. He says, you want to follow me? Okay, first things first, go to your parents and rip down their whole altar. That's a big deal. It goes so far to actually find out that uh, what actually we find out is they're ready to actually kill him, and they drag him out to kill him, and he's only saved by his dad. Uh, What we find out also is that when he went to go tear down the altar, he had 10 servants. He used 10 of his servants. So what does that tell me? That even before he had completely surrendered and become a leader or this great leader, he was already commanding people. But he was doing it on a small scale. Okay? ENTJs, we start small usually. We command in a small way, but I have to believe that whatever your personality type is, when you add the Spirit of God, it's a whole other ballgame. Because that's what we see right here in verse 34. Verse 34 says this, The Spirit of the Lord came onto Gideon. He blew a trumpet. He summoned the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Nephali. They all went up to meet him. Gideon said to God, If you'll save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and the ground is dry, I know that you'll save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose up the next day. He squeezes out the fleece, a bowl full of water. Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me make one more request. Allow me one more time to test with the fleece, but this time let me make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did the same thing. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. First thing, what does he do? He comes alive in the crowd. Okay? So the first part of my personality is the E. That's the extrovert. Okay? Uh, I come alive in crowds. That is no question. Like, that's where I thrive. If, but... I am only 51% extrovert. I'm 49% introvert. So how many E's did we get on the, on, the t- on the test? Okay. How many I's did we get? Introverts. Got a cu- couple? Okay. So we got a lot of extroverts. Can I tell you what an extrovert just basically means? It just means you feel renewed. You feel alive. You feel energized around crowds. An introvert, that doesn't mean they don't like crowds. It just means they need to go and be alone to be revived. Okay. So I absolutely fall, I fall in love around crowds, but after a while, I got to go disappear somewhere. I have to be renewed and recharged alone. And I'm the type that like, I can't be, please don't talk to me when I'm in my introvert side. And that's what happens with extrovert, Mr. E, Mr. Gideon right here. But the spirit of God hits him. He went from commanding 10 people to commanding an entire nation. 
Why am I saying that? Had I never given my life to Christ, I guarantee you right now, I would be languishing away in some dead-end job, probably commanding about five people at a McDonald's, thinking that that was the end of my life, and probably doing okay. But you know what? I don't want to just hang out with five people that I could speak into. My desire is that God would use me in every aspect, okay? When the Spirit of God got a hold of me, he took a white kid from Florida in Cape Coral and did some amazing things that I can't really sit here and go, look how awesome I am. I just can't only go, look what the Spirit of God did in my life, okay? He takes a practical approach to his faith. Some people will read this and go, man, Gideon dude had no faith. This guy is literally sees an angel face to face. He talks to God directly, and he still is nervous about what his next step is. I have to go, nope, that's not true. He takes a logical approach to, some, to a big undertaking, okay? This is something that we can actually learn. If you have a big thing that you're trying to attempt, a big thing that you're holding out for God to do, some big, huge thing, it's okay to put out a fleece, okay? Do you know what I'm saying when I say a fleece? It's okay to pray something very simple as, God, if you do this, then I know you're in it, okay? If your calling is to be a missionary, it's okay to pray, God, if you provide the money, then I'm going to go for it. Now, a lot of people say, you know, especially Pentecostals, we're the worst at this. We're on some, like, I'm going to walk right in <laughs> and just with no preparation, no da-da-da, da-da-da-da, Spirit of God will provide. That's not true. Your faith has to have a practicality at the same time. Us ENTJs kind of get that. We understand that if we're going to make an attempt at something, we got to have a plan. Okay? That's exactly what Gideon does. And if, whether, you're, whether you're like a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants person or you're a super practical, super get-yourself-ready type person, there's something we can learn from Gideon. The fact that he said, in spite of all that God had showed him, he still said, God, I need you to do a miracle if you want me to do this. It's okay to put God to the test when it comes to something that big of an undertaking. And what does God do? Does God rebuke him? Absolutely not. Does God say, forget you, I'm going to find the next person? No. He meets him every time. He makes up some weird sort of thing. If the thing is wet, I'm going to go. The next day goes, ah, that could have been a, it could have been a, a total mistake. Let's flip it, God. Let's keep it totally wet. And I, like, it seems crazy to us, but I'll tell you what, if you're ready to take a big step of faith, you better have some practicality to your, to your approach. I totally get it. When I took my biggest step of faith when it came to my music, um, I knew God called me to, to, to put my, to me, my music out there. But I said, God, if you, don't, if you don't speak to my wife, I don't think it's you. And I shared this with her. This is like way back in the day. I said, babe, I'm going to spend all our money on our credit card, and I'm going to press up my first album. She's like, you're going to do what? We make $7 an hour. We live in a postage stamp apartment. How in the world? And I, and I remember, and she walked out. It was an argument. It was a fight. And she walked out, and I was just like, maybe, God, I missed you. She walked back in 30 seconds later, and she said, if God told you to do that, then do it. That was my fleece. Now, I'm not saying I always operate that way. There are times where I take huge leaps of faith. But I realize that Gideon, if he can do it, I can do it. So it goes on to say in Judges chapter 7, God takes away all the stuff that Gideon would trust in. He starts with an army of 27,000 people. God tells him, go talk to your army and tell anyone that's scared they can turn around and leave. Half the crowd leaves. Half of the entire army just goes, peace them out, figure it out, dude. All right. Then God says, okay, you still got too many people. Here's what I want you to do. Go take them down to, this makes no sense. He goes, take them down to a river. If they drink like this, keep them. 
If they throw some water in their mouth, get them out of here. God works weird sometimes, okay? He does. And, the, and, and if you think about that for a second, this is a guy whose whole approach is about logical, practical, etc., etc. And God says, you know what? All those things that you think are so cool, all the things that you trust in, I'm going to get rid of them all. I'm going to put you in a position where all you can do is trust me. And if you're not in a position right now where God has pulled away all your little comfort zones and all your little perfect things that keep all your little world nice. This is hard for us ENTJs because we're very much about the schedule. We're very much about the planning. We're very much about we, we dot all our I's and our T's and that's how we rock. And sometimes when God knocks our little plans under and he starts making everything that we thought was perfect, not so perfect, we start to stress out. I know I get stressed out. If I walk in a place and my sound check isn't right, the music isn't right, the crowd seems off, something's wrong, I'm stressing. Because I need my perfect little comfort zone. But I also know that God operates in my own personality. And he says, guess what? I'm bigger than your situation. I'm bigger than your personality. And that's what God does. He knocks all of his little comforts down till he's literally got 300 people. The real 300. Not King Leonidas. Not the Sparta. The original 300 is about to take on the entire, entire place of Midian. Now you can't tell me that this ENTJ Gideon wasn't stressing out. Can I just tell you, when God called me to do anything I've done, nothing on paper made sense. Nothing. Not one of it. Not one bit of my life makes sense, okay? Okay? Again, I know it's a running joke. I use this joke all the time. A white guy from Florida doing Christian hip-hop. In Cape Coral, no less. <laughs> exactly. None of that makes sense on paper. And that's what God rolls up his sleeves and uses. But I'll tell you why he did it. He took away all the things that I could have trusted in. All the things that would have given me strength. All the things that I could point back and go, dang God, it's been 20 years. 20 years I've been able to do this full time. 20 years. Right now, at this part of my life, I literally live the dream that I wanted. Everything I prayed for is a reality. Can I look back on any moment and go, man, I was pretty awesome. No. God kept knocking down all the things I trusted in and took me down to the tiniest fraction. And it says that Gideon was still stressing. And so what he tells me, he says, hey, go, go down into the camp with the Midianites. Just take a listen to what they're talking about. And what he actually finds out is that what they're talking about is a dream. The, the Midianites, the enemy, have this dream, and the dream goes like this. All of a sudden, this barley loaf rolls into the camp, knocks out the whole camp. And they're all like, we don't know what that means, but we just basically means that God is going to give our, we're going to lose. Gideon hears the whole thing. Four times, God has met him in his introspectiveness four times two different fleeces three different offerings four different arguments then he gets rid of everything he wants and then he still goes all right fine you still stressing go down there take a listen to what's happening this brings me to the next part it's the intuition side okay the end part of my entj n that's intuition you could call it whatever you want you could call it a spirit of discernment I generally have the ability to size somebody up in about two minutes. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that I just have the ability to figure somebody out. And I don't mean like, oh, I know why you're good or why you're bad or da 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 I just, I don't know what it is. My intuition kicks in and I can figure people out way better than a lot of people. If someone walks up to me on the street right now in about five minutes and tries to hit me up for money, I'm not the guy that pulls out his wallet and hooks him up. My guard immediately goes up. I immediately start talking in Spanish. Yo no sé, señor. Because <laughs> my intuitiveness already knows that he wants something from me. So I tend to fall on that side. The other part of it is that the ENTJ, the, the T side, is thinker. Okay? Who did 
Who did not get the T? Who got an F on that part? Okay, you are the opposite of me. You're a feeler. Okay, that means me and you might clash. Okay, my wife, definitely a feeler. My wife makes me put cockroaches outside. <laughs> my wife makes me save everything in the house. And in all in my head, I'm like this disease carrying. And I like as soon as she's like, especially when it comes to like the way we discipline our kids, like it's, it's night and day. Those kids can be bawling in tears. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you will not break me. Like that's, I just don't know what it is. I have the ability to be a thinker. I can detach myself from my feelings pretty good. Is that always a great thing? No, absolutely not. It is not always a good thing to be detached from your feelings. Is there times where you have to be? Absolutely. If you're a leader like I am, I absolutely have to be disconnected from my feelings at times. Leaders have to be, you know, I'm not a huge Ben Shapiro fan, but I love his phrase, facts don't care about your feelings. Okay? And I, I gravitate to that. And I say that with the idea is that that's where Gideon kind of steps in. Um, starting at verse 15. Is that up there? Awesome. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of them with torches inside. He says, Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead, leader. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. That whole sentence is me right there. That's the way I like to teach. That's the way I like to lead. That's the way I like to speak into people. When all... Uh, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, you blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they, they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grabbing the torches in their left hand, holding in their right hand the trumpet that they were about to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. With, while each man held the position around the camp, all the Midian's rights r- ran, crying out as they fled. Okay, let's stop here. This right here is how I approach problems. All we know is that God says, go beat the Midianites. Never do we ever hear how God tells them to do it. Okay? So think about this for a second. 300 people. There's only 300 people against an army of 20,000, 30,000 people sitting in a valley. And God just goes, figure it out, dude. Now, some of you, when you heard me just say that, you're like, ah! An ENTJ, it's on. Let's do this. I can see Des over there already shaking your head. You give me a challenge and I come alive. I don't run from conflict. I run to conflict. I don't mean that necessarily like I'm ready to fight. But I'll tell you what, I love a challenge. I love to be told creatively to go after something. I love to be stuck in a situation where everyone has been frustrated and cannot figure it out. And then I go, what if we just tried this? So think about this for a second. Let's pause for a second. It's, it's, it's hard to read this in the text. Can you imagine a massive valley? I know in Florida we have so many of these. But um, picture, if you will, just a big bowl. Now on the side of that bowl is, is basically a mountain ridge. Imagine if you take 300 people in the middle of the night while it's pitch black. And you start stationing, I don't know, one person every 20 yards all the way around. Now what do they have in their hand? A trumpet. Now, we say a trumpet. It's not like they're dizzy glass. Be like, it wasn't, you know, careless whispers. They weren't playing that. What they have is what's called a shofar, which is a ram's horn. If you ever heard it blown, that junk is freaking loud. 
It's obnoxiously loud. If you've ever been in like a psychopathic charismatic service when someone decided to blow a shofar, you're like, please never do that again. Okay? <laughs> okay, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Now again, picture this bowl. Picture 300 people placed strategically all around that bowl with a horn so obnoxiously loud that it's only ever meant for one person. Now we've got 300 of those. And each one of their hands is a jar and a torch inside the jar. Can you imagine 300 people smashing something at the same time, especially in a valley? Can you imagine 300 people blowing a massive shofar at the same time? Can you imagine when they smash that jar, all of a sudden there's a torch in there and a light lights up? How does that look to the people down in the valley? It looks like you're surrounded by the biggest massivest, loudest, most intimidating, hugest army you can imagine, all going off simultaneously. 300 people can beat 25,000 people if you can't see them in the dark. All of a sudden, these people are nervous to begin with. They don't know what to do. It's pitch black. All of a sudden, they hear the loudest, hugest noise, and all of a sudden, lights just start lighting up all around them. What are they thinking? We're outnumbered. We're all going to die. This guy knew enough to think about the problem, digest the problem, and with 300 people, never once even went to battle. They all started fighting each other. The army picks up the weapons in a panic, thinking that's the enemy, and begins to kill each other off. God will use your uniqueness to kill your enemy. Now for me, I totally got it. I got it. That, that made sense to me. Right now, I run my whole music, my whole ministry, my whole everything with a staff of one. It's me. I'm my manager. I'm my distribution company. I am my assistant. I am my own armor bearer. And I love it. Like, I, I actually enjoy being self-sufficient. It's probably also my problem, too, is that I don't learn how to ask for help when I need it. The point is, this is an ENTJ. This ENTJ thrives on that, and they step into the situation. You can drop them right in there where the circumstance is bad, and they will figure out a way to fix it. This is where I hated working at retail. When I wasn't in charge of people, and I just worked a crappy job every single day, would you like paper or plastic, sir? I was going bonkers. I used to work as a flower shop guy, delivery. I used to take orders. I'd make flowers all day. I'd hop in the van. It was the worst job. I hated it. I said, someday I will do something better than this. I've only had three jobs in my life, and those are one of the three. And up to then, I've been an entrepreneur, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I've been a self-starter. I ran my own life, my own business. You put me anything outside of that, I stress out. It's hard for me to not be that. I'll be honest with you, my last seven months in the church setting, it's been an adjustment. I kept telling everybody on staff, I'm an outdoor cat, okay? I'm an outdoor cat. I've been used to being outside. Now you're bringing the outdoor cat inside. I'm peeing all over the floor. I'm crawling at the drapes. I just, I had to adjust about a month of just getting used to being in an office, like thinking of other people's feelings, like just thinking, it was hard. Am I glad that it's over? Not necessarily. I mean, I enjoyed it too. But the point of what I'm trying to say is this is how I work. I'm a commander. I need to command. I need to do that. Or my life starts to go a little bonkers. So what he does is very intuitive. It goes on to say that God gives them a tremendous win. They kill each other off. Now, this is where the bad side of ENTJs kick in. Okay? We'll jump ahead to um, Judges, cha Judges chapter 8, verse 4. He's obsessed with winning. 
It says in, in verse 4, Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit, come to the Jordan and they crossed it. He said to the men of Succoth, give me troops some bread. They are worn out. I am still pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian and Wakanda, forever. Um, but the officials of Succoth said, do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Gideon replies, just for that, when the Lord gives me them into my hand, I'm going to tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Guys, I want to tell you something. This is me in another bad side. I am so driven sometimes, I burn people out. I have a judgmental attitude. This is the J part of my ENTJ. If I can do it, you should be able to do it. Right, Des? This is not, I spent, tw- I spent my 20s living like this, all the way into my 30s, and I still battle this. Because I'm so driven, I'm such a high producer, I am X, Y, Z, that I think because I can do it, everyone else can do it. And that is a terrible way to live life, especially when you're married. This does not work with your wife, okay? My wife is literally the opposite. She is an ISFP, okay? That means everything that I am, she's the opposite side of that. This led to a lot of conflicts in our early marriage. God has chilled me out a lot over the years. Um, some of the people that used to work for me, I was probably way too hard on them. Uh, some of the people that have been around me, some of my friendships, I've lost over this part of my life. My driven nature. It says right here that Gideon literally exhausts his people, all 300. You do it, you won. Like, chill out, man. Like, you want it. You beat 20,000 people. No, we got to keep going. I got to really win. Then he gets to a spot where he's just trying to get some help, and they're like, uh-uh, we ain't going to help you. He's like, all right, fine. When I win, I'm coming back. I'm kicking everybody's rear. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going for vengeance. I'll be honest with you. I can't express to you how hard it is for me to forgive. I just came out of three years of getting burned by my manager, getting burned by some people around me, to the tune of probably $50,000. Do you know how hard it's been for me to walk in forgiveness with people that don't want to forgive? They've never asked me to forgive I can't tell you how many times in my head I've been like Gideon, be like, when I make it, I'm coming back. Oh, I'm going to get you. <laughs> Y'all are laughing, but this is what I deal with every day, okay? This is what goes through my head. If someone does me dirty, I do not forget. And this is hard when you're a believer. It works when you're a non-believer. Just, just go roll through life, crush everybody. Who cares? You ever watch a Steve Jobs movie? Guess who what he was? An ENTJ. <laughs> Steamroll the world, who cares? God sets me right in the face and goes, forgive as I forgave you. Forgiveness on so many levels of my life has been a constant process. Forgiving family members, forgiving people that dirt burnt me, forgiving people that I just don't even know why I'm mad at them in the first place, but I just say I'm dang on it and I'm going to show you. There's something on here that Gideon says <laughs> that kind of sums me up too. He goes, just for that, when the Lord has given me Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I'm going to tear your flesh. Okay? I don't struggle with confidence. Okay? I don't struggle with being assertive. I do just fine in this way. This doesn't always work in the church setting. I've been told sometimes that I am a little cocky. I've been told sometimes that I can be a little too intense with people that aren't quite as confident as I am. Uh, that I come off a little arrogant. 
that I can be a little too got it all together. And in my head, it's not that I think that I'm better than anybody. It's just that I roll in a confident position. That's the way I go. Guess what? I've learned. I'll be honest with you. Shout out to Pastor Corey because I've sat down with him and I've said, please tell me in the church setting what I need to work on. He says, well, you can come off as a little bit cocky. I said, okay, how do I stop doing that? (laughs) It takes a lot for me to let people speak into my life, but inviting what we call in staff fearless feedback is very powerful for ENTJ. Now, I'll tell you this. You better earn my respect before I let you speak into my life. But I have learned over the years to dial it back. If you share a story with me, chances are I got a story that goes with that story, and all of a sudden I pulled the whole story about me. This is a bad habit I have, okay? I'm not trying to make it about myself. It's my way of like, I hate when people feel uncomfortable. I hate when people don't have anything to say. When I meet people that are introverted and quiet, I want to run the conversation to make them not feel. I'm sure I've probably already done that to you already since we've been in this room already. Um, I can be too dominant in the conversation as I've been for the last 30 minutes right now. Um, The point of what I'm trying to say is Gideon goes, I know God's going to give this to me. And when I come back, I'm wrecking shop on you. I know the confidence level and the assertive level I have can be intimidating to certain people. And I have had to learn over the years to dial it back, to chill out. You don't have to have a story about Kirk Cameron. Also, just because Dez has a story about Kirk Cameron, and you've got to share the story, too, about Kirk Cameron. I'm not trying to one-up Dez. I just have a story about Kirk Cameron. That's it. (laughs) But I realize you don't got to share the story, man. Just let people talk. That was just a little transparency about my life right there. This is the dark side of Gideon. He's too driven. He wears other people out. He's judgmental. He says, if I can do it, you should be able to do it. He's unfeeling. He doesn't listen to anybody's feelings in that moment. He's vengeful. He's pretty arrogant. It says in verse 16, as you jump ahead, he took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succa a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower and killed all the men of the town. That is an ENTJ out of control. That is a commander that has not been roped in the way he should be. And if I'm not careful, I will burn out my family. I'll burn out the people around me. I'll burn out myself. I will be arrogant. I will be way too cocky. And I'm going to end up causing a lot of collateral damage. And this, I have to say, I think that God has gotten a hold of me in a lot of ways. But he's still working on me every single day. I'm going to end it by this. is saying... um, The final part of the way Gideon's life ends like this. It says uh, in verse 25. They answered, we'll be glad to give him. He spreads out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings, he asked, came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. Gideon makes the gold into an ephod, which is placed in Ophrah, the town. It says that all of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his family. This is the dark side of being a very good leader. This is the part that we don't tell you in the church world. We don't show you this part. We keep it very on the low low. We present a good front, but the dark side is great leaders can also swing to the other side where it all becomes about money. Because what happens to Gideon? They go up to him and go, dude, you, you did the biggest win. You're going to be our first king. He's like, no, nope, I don't want to be a king. Just give me all your gold. 
Everybody takes off an earring. They throw it on there. A big old pile of gold. This guy gets the payday like no, no other day. Can I tell you, as a leader, there's a lot of money to be made. It's a very scary thing to have that much power. When I'm on stage on a Sunday, that's a very powerful, scary thing to have. Okay? Again, to be transparent with you, I've had people come up to me right after I get done speaking and go, you should be the pastor. <laughs> I've had people come up to me after I get done speaking and go, when are you starting your church? What are they doing? You need to be the king. I've had people come up to me because of the way I speak or because of the way I can move a crowd, they just give me money on the spot for no particular reason. Oh, I just want to bless your ministry with this amount of money. If I'm a shysty person, that is a scary power to have. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a fine line between a great leader and a great cult leader. <laughs> Guess what? Both of them are leaders. It's what they did with that leadership. This is a very scary part for anyone that like, is myself that has charisma, can command a crowd, that can move on people's emotions. I know what to say on a stage that can get everybody to do exactly what I want to do. Now, it's a very dangerous place to be. It's a very hard line to walk. And what we find out with Gideon, what happens to Gideon? He's like, now, nah, I don't want to be your king, but I want the money. So he takes all this cold. What does he do with it? He makes what's called an ephod. He makes this ephod. Now, they don't really know exactly what the ephod was. Some people think he made an idol. Some people think he just made like a memorial. What he really did is he makes something, and guess what starts to happen? They stop worshiping the Lord who rescued them, and they start worshiping the what? How often have we been in churches where the pastor is the man? How often have we heard about events where someone has a burnt piece of toast that looks like Jesus and everybody makes a pilgrimage to go see the burnt piece of toast named Jesus? Like, it's crazy, but that's the way we are. We are so quick to worship creation over creator. And us as leaders, this is our dangerous place that we dwell in. That all of a sudden, it ain't about what I did on that stage, how I gave the glory to God. It starts to become about me. It starts to become about my speaking ability. It starts to become about my charisma, my talents, my gifts. And I forget about all the things that got me to that place. And instead of it being like when someone walks up to me and goes, Hey man, when are you going to start your church? Hey man, I like when you speak better than da-da-da-da-da. You should be the person that speaks every time. What do I do in that moment? I got a real, like, this is where my ENTJ has to go. It's not about you, dude. It's never about you. Then I give him a, okay, thank you, that's very nice. Whatever. Give me your gold. No, I don't say that. <laughs> no, I don't say that. But I can tell you, I was not ready to be in that position. Now I am because I've been through a lot of things to get here. But it says that Gideon ends with, with his own situation becoming a snare to himself and to his family. It goes on to say that this dude amasses a huge harem of women. Women are drawn to men on stage. I'm going to be transparent with you. You could be the ugliest guy in the building. You step on that stage, oh my goodness. How many ugly rockers are there in the world that women go crazy for? Why? Because women are drawn to power. They're drawn to power. They're drawn to that sort of ability to command a crowd. They're drawn to that. Gideon gives into that temptation and he hooks up with 70 different wives these are all the things that, just to be transparent with you, that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Now, maybe you're not an ENTJ, so you're not there. That's okay. I just wanted to share with you a little bit about my life. 
I'm an extrovert, I'm intuitive, I'm a thinking, and I'm judgmental. And I'll tell you what, all that goes out the door because most importantly, I'm a child of God. And what his principles are come first. Okay? So, a couple famous ENTJs, and we'll end right here. Steve Jobs, he did okay for himself. Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, he didn't do so great. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, Harrison Ford. Um, so, here's what we're going to do just to end it. Uh, I want you to take just a few minutes and, and you can go ahead and open back up of your personality type. And just take a minute and read. And look at some of the things that are in there. We did a 16personalities.com.